0: Welcome to the regular podcast from Editorial Intelligence, the media analysis and networking business. You can see all our broadcast interviews on our EITV channel on YouTube and EditorialIntelligence.com.
1: I'm Peter Hill. A huge thank you to the Foreign Press Association and Christopher Wilde for hosting us. So, to tonight's utterly burning subject, what does the Royal Wedding tell us about the way we are in Britain 2011? Now, apparently the Prime Minister, telling an astonishing, astonished Cabinet, astonishing but also astonished Cabinet, the news, thumped the table, that great table of state, and said, at last, some unequivocally good news, or something like that, so I'm told. But how do the rest of us feel about it? What do our reactions more generally tell us about British culture and class and that stuff? So, for instance, the fantastic representativeness and middle-classness of the middle Middletons, Mr and Mrs Middleton, who are um, ordinary, and ordinary in the sense that, that they are ordinary one-percenters, as Polly Toynbee pointed out, They represent a whole 1% or nearly 1% of the British British population. So that's a great broadening out (laughs) and democratisation of things. So, one, what does it tell us about that? How important is it in the great scheme of things? How does it compare with 1981 and the Prince of Wales and Diana Spencer's wedding? What's changed? And when we think about that, that lovely class word... Is it really the class word or the other C word? Is it celebrity or is it celebrity class or classy celebrity? Or do you know what mixture of those subtexts is going on? And what will be the impact? Will it make for street parties, wild rejoicing, national cohesion in these difficult times, all in it togetherness, as George Osborne says, or general grumpiness and all right for some-ness is it a series of marketing opportunities for diet plans and illustrated napkins and a day long commercial for Visit Britain, marketing tool for UKTI, or something much more elevated? Here to discuss all these and other themes are Her Excellency Nicola Chase, the Swedish ambassador, Rachel Johnson, editor of The Lady, Peter Kellner, president of YouGov, the noted polling organisation. Sarah Sands, Deputy Editor of the London Evening Standard, and Peter Tatchell, the campaigner. Um,
2: Now,
3: uh,
1: uh, for human, gay and other human rights, our speakers are going to kick off by describing what it means to them, their take on it, from their five rather different perspectives, and then I hope there'll be a bit of argumentation between them, after which it's your turn. It's your turn to introduce the quiet... Voice of reason with your questions and observations. The seating plan, incidentally, is alphabetical. It's not the same as any questions. Well, extraordinary. I did, did anybody notice that Jonathan Dimbleby revealed last Friday how the seating plan on any questions is done? You can't see it, so you can only imagine how it's seen. where he revealed that people were seated on a sort of political continuum okay. so that Bob Crow was at one end, and Boris Johnson, Rachel's brother, was at the other end on some imagined political continuum. So you can imagine people saying, oh, she's a little bit left of Melanie Phillips, but somewhat, somewhat right of Suzanne Moore." You
2: could
1: you make, make a whole dissertation out of that. Anyway, um, to our first speaker, her Excellency, the Swedish Ambassador. And I'd like to share something here. I live in London's Swedish Quarter. The Ambassador's Office, the Swedish Embassy, is practically over the road from my house. And round the corner are the Swedish church, which is lovely, a Swedish restaurant, and a Swedish deli. There are, are about 50,000 Swedish people in London. Is that fair? Does that sound no, I think
2: that's
4: roughly
1: true. right? Yes. And most of them live in the nicer part of Upper Maribyrn, I I think. And you go to a sale of work at the Swedish church at Christmas. My God, it's wonderful. So, Nicola Chase, the Swedish ambassador, is a diplomat and foreign policy expert. She's been at the Swedish Ministry for Foreign Affairs since 1991. She's been, as it says in in, in her words, the Swedish PM's sherpa on EU and their government's Chief negotiator at the EU Lisbon Treaty. I can only add, one tenth of all furniture bought in Britain comes from IKEA. Madame <laughs> 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 Ambassador,
4: thank you very much, Peter. Well, um, well, the marriage of a, a future monarch does not happen very often. Sweden had two in the 20th century, and both actually took place in Britain. One at Windsor Castle, the other one at St. James's Palace. And last summer, the future monarch, Crown Princess Victoria, married Mr. Daniel Westling, and it was a fantastic event. And I would argue that there are a few things that can bring a nation together in the same way as a royal wedding. The happiness index definitely goes up significantly. And when the royal couple are as charming and very much in love as Prince William and Miss Catherine Middleton seems to be, everything is set for a fairy tale wedding. Just like this country, Sweden has had a monarchy for more than a thousand years, and the first king that inherited the throne uh, in the 16th century, King Eric XIV, actually proposed to Princess Elizabeth, later Queen Elizabeth I. He was um, turned down. Um, he tried really hard though and sent a picture of himself uh, um, that she seemed to have quite uh, liked but uh, he still did not want to marry him. He then actually undiplomatically enough uh, tried to marry, um, marry Queen of Scots uh, <laughs> without any luck and then ended up marrying his royal mistress. Uh, who was 17 years younger, with whom he already had two children, and with whom he was already secretly married. <laughs> uh, King Eric ended up being imprisoned and poisoned to death. Uh, a more pleasant story was the marriage between Princess Margaret of Connaught and our Crown Princess uh, Gustav Adolf. They fell in love at first sight in Cairo in 1905 and married at Windsor Castle a few months later. The lady, wrote about the wedding dress in very positive terms. I bet. (laughs) When Princess Princess Margaret tragically died, the Crown Prince was left with five children, and he later um, then married Queen Victoria's grandchild, Lady Louise Mountbatten, at St. James's Palace. As Queen Louise got old, she said for people not to worry as she kept a little note in her handbag that said, that she was the Queen of Sweden in case something would happen to her when she was travelling abroad. <laughs> the um, wedding last summer between the Swedish Crown Princess Victoria, the great-granddaughter then of Princess Margaret of connaught and Mr Daniel Vesling, a man of the people, was quite unique. It was the first wedding of a female successor to the Swedish throne. And the wedding took place in the afternoon on the traditional day of, well, the 19th of June, after seven years of courtship and more than a year-long engagement. And the massive force of the positive emotions and how they were expressed in the Swedish media were quite striking. Major newspapers ran extensive features of the young couple's love story with headlines of intertwined gold rings, red hearts and Swedish flags. And the only real problem that the couple faced before the wedding was one that might actually puzzle you. The idea that the Swedish king would hand over the bride was not very popular in Sweden. The church actually wrote a letter of protest that became public as they thought it was too old fashioned to do it that way. And in the end, this was solved through careful diplomacy. The king handed over the bride halfway down the aisle to the future husband. And I remember explaining this to your queen, and she looked at me and she said with a big smile, What a happy compromise. (laughs) (laughs) There was no end to the cheering from the crowd when the Crown Princess Victoria stepped out on the balcony and said, Dear, dear friends, I want to begin by thanking the Swedish people for giving me my prince. And the speech by the groom at the wedding banquet received standing ovations. He told the story of when the crown princess and he were going to be separated for a month due to an official trip she had to make to China. And the night before the crown princess left, she got home late after an official engagement, but instead of getting some valuable sleep, she stayed up the whole night writing. And in the morning, he found a box with 30 Beautiful letters addressed him, one letter for every day she would be away. Well, the Swedish constitution um, was reformed in the mid-70s, a two-chamber system and a division between the parliament and the king was replaced by a clear-cut parliamentary system with a one-chamber parliament. The king then lost practically all his former powers. And after these constitutional reforms, the king no longer signs government bills, appoints prime minister, or act as commander in chief. The firstborn child in Sweden, no matter if it's a boy or a girl, will take over the throne after the future Queen Victoria. And this change was initiated when Crown Princess Victoria was born. Finally, why is it that the monarchy continues to have such great support in a country like Sweden When there's such strong commitment to class and gender equality and modernity? Well, the answer is quite simple. Swedes relate to the royals and feel that it strengthens their national identity. And I would argue that, well, all polls show a clear majority of Swedes supporting the Swedish monarchy. Thank you.
1: Don't you love the idea of the Queen of Sweden going around little a little piece of paper, probably laminated, saying if lost or mislaid, I am the Queen of Sweden. Always useful. No, there are wonderful and fascinating things about Sweden. Our second speaker, Rachel Johnson, is a Johnson with all that implies good and bad. <laughs> um, she is the editor of The Lady, the long-standing Victorian-founded... Uh, magazine publication for gentlewomen. And before that she was a journalist and <laughs>
2: oh, <laughs> oh, oh.
0: <laughs> two insults already. Go
2: on. Uh,
1: she was the first female graduate trainee at the FT, which is completely wonderful. Worked on the BBC's World Tonight, did lots of freelance columns and is the star at last year's wonderful funny uh, uh, C4 documentary about working at the lady and it, it, the extraordinariness of the lady she's also the author of two very funny books called Notting Hill and Shire Hill which is about the sheer terribleness of life at the top
0: <laughs> Thank you Peter um, Didn't David Cameron come out from cabinet and say there was banging on the tables yes. when um, he and that they announced the engagement rather than there was thumping on the table. I thought banging on the table was better, Peter. You must get that when you next tell this anecdote. Um, Well, um, there's not going to be banging on the tables here. I think that it's been an incredible um, and really odd time to be a journalist um, in the run-up to the royal wedding on April the 29th. It's been both a sort of Klondike economy for any sort of talking head, as Peter knows, and you, all Peters present probably know, maybe not Peter Tatchell. Have they come to you for your opinions, of, or is this your only outing so far?
5: Anyway. I've had a few. Okay, requests. well, I
0: mean, I, it's just gone completely crazy. And, you know, I've got I now, now have a folder in which when I get an email from, you know, Australia or Holland or Sweden, say, would I discuss Kate Middleton's style choices? Or would I discuss the impact on the potteries of the memorabilia industry? I just put it in a folder, and I don't do a lot of it. Um, I found myself last Saturday, no, no, it wasn't last Saturday. Last Saturday, I was in the Tower of London doing CBS. They flew over a couple of anchors. They took over worms in the Tower of London to do pre-wedding packages previous week a US no an Australian program called 60 minutes booked me for an hour and a half and they were so desperate to find something to say about the royal wedding that they came up with what i thought was quite a good gimmick which you must all feel free to copy which was they hired an exact replica of the Rolls Royce that Camilla was attacked in, as she went...
2: <laughs> a true
0: story. They hired the exact replica, which you can, you can go to some vintage car website. So I sat in the back of this Rolls Phantom, and we went down the mall, and I did a kind of light bulb screwing action with my wrist, and we went down the mall, and we waved to tourists, and then we went past... Um, Buckingham Palace, and I waved tourists with a sort of quite handsome presenter next to me pretending we were the royal couple, except of course it would be Middleton with her her father in that car because she arrives as a commoner in the roles and she leaves as a fairy tale princess in the royal carriage. Anyway, so basically what I'm saying is everybody is absolutely desperate to find things to say about the wedding um, because it's both an incredibly It's an international story and it's a domestic story, huge in rather different ways, I think. I'm trying to work out anything sensible to say, really, at this point, as you might have guessed. And I think that um, why it's a huge excitement internationally is because, and what I've noticed from the questions I'm being asked, is it's all about Diana a lot for the foreign media. And everyone says, what do you think about the fact that Prince, uh, you know, Prince William gave the ring, and I sort of think, crumbs. What do I think, you know? And you have this moment, and then what do you think about the dress? And is Kate going to be the next Diana? There's a huge interest. It's kind of um, disinterred a lot of feelings people had about 1981, and it's also at a time of kind of really cataclysmic global news. I mean, I see. Last time I saw Alan, I was in Colombia and he was in Libya. But you know, a huge amount of of, um, news recently. And yet, as David Starkey wrote in the Times on Saturday, all he's getting is emails from people saying the royal wedding is, you know, is the only story we we care about. It seems quite bizarre, but it's because it's a good news story, as well as being a good news story with its elements of Hollywood celebrity, um, you know, girl meets boy. Middle class girl makes good. Um, you know, middle class makes good, bags her prince after being princess in waiting for eight years and will produce the next king. I mean, it's almost got everything you could possibly want in a story, plus a dress and a day <laughs> and a wedding. You know, it's sort of Richard Curtis to the power of a million, isn't it? Um, I think for the UK audience, it's rather different. I think that. Um, <sighs> I was trying to think of a good comparison but I think we're all slightly fed up of celebrities and I think we're quite we're quite happy about the fact that the royal family can be hugely celebrated and Princess Diana sort of made that happen. She turned herself into the biggest celebrity in the world. Um, at the same time, we're quite happy for them to do absolutely nothing. They just have, They don't have to do anything, they just have to be and that's a huge relief for us. It's like... The archers, but with instead of acres of palace roo- acres of land, we've just got acres of palace roof instead. To imagine what's going on inside, and it moves very slowly and organically, and sort of with our own lives, the pace is about right. But with celebrity, the news cycle works much much faster, and I think we just enjoy the fact that you know the pace of royal life echoes the pace of our lives and the pace of national life. And what else? Um, If you think about it, the celebrities have tried to hijack this royal magic. You know, they call themselves Prince. You know, Katie Price calls her daughter Princess Tiami. Is that how you say it? You know, um, and so on. But they can't do it because celebrities have to keep producing copy for us to be interested. The royals simply have to wave. And um, <laughs> that's what we love about them. We don't want Kate. Mid- By the way, it's going to get worse in terms of content. I predict. Um, obviously, this is really a television story. It's not a print story. I don't think Sarah may disagree. I think that we're, we're desperately casting around to fill space and fill our time. And um, luckily, on the day, we'll all have library images that will last for the next twenty years. And. Brand Britain will benefit to the tune of untold billions from the exposure. Uh, Kate Middleton will never give an interview, I predict. She might say, have you come far, or what's his name, to a baby, to a mother holding a baby. But she'd be much cleverer (laughs) never to give an interview. So the the lack of content, I'm afraid, is going to get even worse. Um, And having said that, because she's royal, it doesn't matter, and because Williams Royal it doesn't matter, we don't care what what they say really, we just want them to be there and look good and um, I can't remember who it was that said that badly well behaved women rarely make history but I think that in the case of Kate Middleton she will, and only because she's Royal, and I think it's all going to be marvellous on the day, thank you
2: (laughs)
1: Uh, broadly uh, the answer lies in the soil or uh, the most wonderful expression of of the 20th century was the king's life is moving peacefully to its close Um, and um, but it was a rather majestic way of saying it wasn't it and brand Britain will get millions out of it our third speaker Peter Kellner is president of and which is lovely being President, yes. not CEO, President, no, no, no. of YouGov, it's more spacious, yes, the online... He's the president,
3: company. not the king of YouGov. Not the, yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he is chairman of the Royal Commonwealth Society, he's written lots of journalism and books focusing on politics and, another wonderful word, sophology. And I checked whether it was fair or right to say that, and he said it was. Nuffield College, Oxford, Policy Studies Institute, ESRC there's a a set of initials for policy wonks so um, all round distinguished policy wonk and pollster, Peter
6: You set people up for a fall don't you Peter Um, (laughs) listening to Rachel and Nicola I was reminded of of the old joke I'm sure you all know it. of the two women walking along the road and a frog is saying rivet, rivet, rivet particularly loudly and they stop and the frog says pick me up and kiss me and I'll turn into a prince. So one of the women picks up the frog, doesn't kiss it, and puts it in a handbag. And the other woman says, why didn't you kiss it? And she said, "Princes are two-a-penny but a talking frog. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, the, uh, and the point I want to make is that you know, what we're talking about is you know, I, I don't think the American news media go over the top when a Swedish royal gets married, or a Spanish or a Greek royal gets married. There's something specific Mm. about the British royals. And I want to reflect for a couple of minutes on on why that is. And I think it's connected with the fact that uh, we say in Britain we have an unwritten constitution. It's not quite true. It's not written down in one place. It's a sort of fluid, loose leaf thing, which gets amended uh, quite regularly just a little bit at a time when nobody's really noticing. And as a result, manages never to lead to revolution or overthrow. And that's been what's been happening with the monarchy. You know, the monarchy, as we now have it, like, like other age-old British traditions, like like tartan and, and fish and chips, is a construct of the 19th century. Um, and if you go up to, indeed, the 1830s, um, much, if not most, of the time, uh, the person on the throne or the successor was. Uh, condemned, abused, you know, look at Gilray and Hogarth cartoons. So the kind of differential um, uh, monarchy is something which really started with Queen Victoria. And I think one of the things that's, uh, perhaps the royals have been very lucky in that we've had one particularly successful monarch on the throne for so long, nearly 60 years now, embracing the period uh, which has led to the modernisation of media, intercommunications, 24-hour news, celebrity culture and so on, her offspring have been less lucky. Um, um, so what I think is going on is that we're, we're, we're seeing the monarchy, whether one likes it or dislikes it, if one was starting again, I want to be a Republican. Although I have to say I'm not sure at the moment it's worth the bother. And Perhaps Peter alike, and I can like, have a spat about this later as to whether it's worth the bother even if one's a Republican to get getting rid of it because it has adapted so well. But it, I would say looking forward, I think if the monarchy is, if, if, the, if the firm is smart, I think there are two or three things it really ought to be doing pretty soon. First is to change the rule that it's the eldest son who becomes the heir to the throne. Uh, if they wait too long and Kate's first baby is a girl, it's going to be a much messier, more complicated business to change the law when you're as we're dealing with the future of a, a present individual than when you do it as it were when uh, nobody alive is going to be affected by the outcome Um, I also think that perhaps the time has come to revisit the act of settlement the fact that nobody who uh, can can ascend to the throne who quote should profess the popish religion or marry a papist (laughs) Uh, it does seem to me odd Uh, if it said you have to be and marry somebody in the church of England I I think it would be um, wrong but some. But I could understand it uh, if you have a state religion which I'd rather we didn't but if you could have an heir to the throne who could marry a Jew a Muslim, a Hindu a Buddhist, a Baptist a Methodist, a Jedi Knight an Atheist <laughs> but not a Catholic um, I think there's something odd there, I would in fact go further and say I think we should disestablish the church um, because uh, whatever, as were functional reason there was in terms of the nature of British society 50, 100, 200 years ago, uh, now British society is so diverse. I think it's an anachronism to have an established church, it's an anachronism to have 26 Church of England bishops as a right in the House of Lords. So um, I would be looking not to the big bang overthrow of the monarchy itself. It has no power, for goodness sake even where constitutional theorists say there are a couple of places where it has a residual power, actually when you look closely enough it it doesn't. Um, It has no power Uh, but I think it should and my prediction is it will continue gently, gradually to evolve with the time and therefore keep earnest Republicans like Pete Tatchell at bay by never giving enough cause for enough public revulsion at them to lead to their overthrow.
1: It sounds like what people used to call ducking and diving, bobbing and weaving, sort of keeping ahead yeah. of criticism in a sort of,
6: well, step ahead of the yeah.
1: me, diminu- it sounds like was a bit it, of a, was a diminuendo, doesn't yeah. it?
2: Yeah.
1: Anyway, um, our next speaker, Sarah Sands, is Deputy Editor of the London Evening Standard, and I hope you all get the London Evening Standard. I can't, but, but because, of, because of the particular timing of the life I lead, and I, will, I miss it most terribly, yeah, because it was ri- I think that the London Evening Standard is written solely for me, because it's got a wonderfully inner London, gloriously if I may say it's a snobbish perspective on the world I, I just
2: <laughs> love
1: and yet I can't get it and let, you know, unless you go you know, through a, a terminal at a set time you, you know, you're not going to go out to Victoria just in order to get the standard are you the
2: brand. so,
1: so uh, yeah, something, something ought to be done and before Peter, that
0: without further ado it's lovely, <laughs> lovely.
1: it's always fun um, like The Independent, uh, for which Sarah also writes sometimes, it is, uh, it is Russian owned. And in, in fact, it is owned by the same glorious and, and, and munificent <laughs> Russian philanthropist. Um, before, <laughs> um, um, before that, she was editor in chief of the Reader's Digest and at the Daily Mail, and she was at the, at the Telegraph and. Along with another lady, um, uh, what was um, mislaid, I think is the word, <laughs> as, as, as editor of the Sunday Telegraph. And you read, one can be understood, losing two lady editors is very, very careless. Um, in addition to this, um, she can I say this? Can I say this? It's so lovely. Her brother is uh, Kit of Kit and the Widow. It's, a, it's simply wonderful. <laughs> uh, Sarah, oh, I'm forgiven, but, uh,
7: uh. Thank you. I must correct Rachel to your one thing, which is the television um, having a sort of monopoly on this that. We had the engagement announced at the Evening Standard. It was very conveniently sort of about half an hour before deadline, and it immediately became a sort of souvenir edition. And we've had them sort of ever since. And that, um, so out of pure self-interest, I probably again, as with Rachel, you know, I I come here as someone who is um, an enormous beneficiary of this whole story. (laughs) Um, I work for a newspaper, and um, our industry, as you probably know, is going through very tough times. Um, So believe me when I say monarchy, class and celebrity represent our greatest chance of professional survival. They sell, they have, they always will. And it's not just me who benefits. If you think of that scrap of see-through cloth that Kate Middleton wore at a student fashion show, which was sold for nearly £80,000. Uh, so let's uh, not take this wedding into crude commercial territory. That's the job for the parents of the bride. And actually, the father of the
2: groom. I don't know if you've
7: seen the souvenir jigsaw that the Prince of Wales is selling. I've got one. Souvenir <laughs> what? Jigsaw. Um, but rather, let's look at what this wedding does for Britain and, and what it says about Britain. Um, I think let's marvel, first of all, at the opportunity to show off this country to the world and allow our neighbours to see us as we really are, a deeply divided little country of romance and sentimentality, drunkenness, and petty-minded joylessness. (laughs) There's something in this royal wedding, in other words, for everyone. It's great for those who revere romance and love the royal family. They're practically queuing outside Buckingham Palace already. And it's an excuse for Republicans to have a good moan. Have you read The Guardian recently? Um, And for the rest, it's a really welcome day off and enough to turn uh, Easter into a whole week's holiday. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, if you wonder whether you are a Republican (coughs) too, I would suggest you ask yourselves a simple question of whose side am I on? Do your spirits lighten at the thought of Sue Townsend, the novelist, who writes in the current edition of Prospect magazine that the monarchy is just a dancing corpse? Or do you actually want to read Hello! magazine with 36 pages of the guests? Do you love Will Self, who thinks we've all been conditioned by some spooky government scheme, probably backed by the CIA, which spews fascist propaganda such as the King's Speech? Or do you prefer the lovely star of the King's Speech, Colin Firth, who's looking more royal every day? My dear friend Willie Shawcross, with his brilliant and painstaking account of the Royal Court of the Lane Queen Mother... Or Monica Alley with her slightly snooty, lefty, have-it-both-ways new novel that explores the idea that Diana did not die in a car crash but went to live in America. Miss Alley isn't rubbing herself in royal bunting, you understand. The purpose of her book, shrewdly timed, is to deplore celebrity and wring her hands that Diana is not being left alone by the media. So as I say, everybody benefits. So would you like to congo along Downing Street at the Sam Cam Street Party? or put the pillow over your head and wait for the national celebration to pass. I'm sure I know the answer. As Peter Kellner's illustrious YouGov poll shows, it's a tiny minority he want to boot out the royals, I think only 13%. Uh, But like viewers of the killing, they all seem to have access to the media, so you get a distorted view of their numbers. What the Republicans can't bear is that the general public really, really like the royal family. Even when we're cross with them, they're a wonderful topic of conversation. And we are suckers too for all those class implications. I know I'm trespassing here with Peter York in the chair, for no one knows more about British class than Peter. Indeed, I hope at some point this evening he'll explain to us why the royal family is actually rather common. But aren't we fascinated by the rise and rise of the Middleton family? Which of us, cherishing a beloved daughter, has not fantasised about her bringing home a prince? So I say, well done, Carol Middleton, for making that dream come true. For helping the royal family widen the gene pool, as you say, and for creating a brilliant new scratch card game that all the family can play for £3.99. Too better to embody the new spirit of Britain than this entrepreneurial family, creating and cascading wealth from a million party bags. This may not be the first celebrity royal wedding. I'm sure Harry Seacombe was invited to Prince Charles's first. But it is promising to be the most vulgar. And hooray for that. Should we be cross that Victoria and David Beckham will sit in seats once occupied by Duke and Duchess? Not me. Let's have a wedding that truly reflects our celebrity culture. We say we want the royal family to be in touch with its people, and this is what happens when it is. David Dimbleby gives way to Hugh Edwards. Fern Cotton is drafted in. Good, there's a young audience to be turned into monarchists. So we welcome that, but we welcome to the ancient traditions, the striped shirt and loafer brigade that Harry rounded up to chunder over William at the stag party, the joy of those whose invitations have dropped through the letterbox and the hurt of those whose invitations are lost in the post. And look how infectious the royal wedding is. Love and fatherhood could not get Ed Miliband up the aisle, but he announced today that he doesn't want to be left out and he's squeezing himself between Wills and Zara. And there are other acts of gallantry. The mayor of London has briefly abandoned the shy modesty and reserve that marks out the Johnson family and warned (laughs) anarchists that this week they better not try to disrupt the royal wedding. Who needs the Met Police when Boris will draw his sword? (laughs) There will be four billion viewers around the world, four billion viewers turning in for that peculiar British heritage of gaiety and duty, romance and sacrifice, history and heritage and that will include
1: us. Well, um, the whole question of of, of romance and sacrifice um, brings me to our final speaker, Peter Tatchell, um, who (laughs) has been campaigning uh, for gay and other human rights for a very long time, and over that period... The world's changed, and attitudes I suspect to him have changed, and he is in real danger of becoming a sort of national treasure. (laughs) And um, and I just got real perceptible things when, in glancing aside, people like Adrian Gill say how lovely he is, and so on. And it's a real change, because people weren't always so nice. And I think it's because they've observed him struggling for human rights in places where there aren't many of them and, and being beaten up regularly by the goons who support really, really horrible people and giving our comparisons there between the sorts of freedoms we enjoy here and want to take care of and the lack of freedoms in those places, all those places which are sort of coming unraveled. Peter.
3: well the idea or the sentiment of a national treasure is a rather attractive one (laughs) but as you know national treasures tend to be put in glass boxes and end up in museums and I'm not quite ready for that we've heard a lot from our first two speakers about the popularity of this forthcoming royal wedding but I seem to recall an ICM poll only a week ago which found that 79% of the British people say that they are largely indifferent or don't care about the royal wedding. That's almost four fifths of the British public really don't care or are largely indifferent. That hardly seems to me a great vote of confidence in this forthcoming marriage. We also know that a third of councils around the country have no applications for royal wedding street parties. And two thirds of councils have five or less applications for street parties. Again, it does not seem that this royal wedding has captured the public imagination. I noted recently that a a Cornish tour company which was organizing trips to London for the weekend of the Royal Wedding has had to cancel its offer because it had so few takers. According to First Great Western Trains, they say that there has been no significant increase in ticket sales for the Royal Wedding weekend. So the reality is, whatever we may personally think about this Royal Wedding, most British people are largely indifferent as the poll found out. I think we also need to bear in mind that the extra day off, Well, I'm all in favour of having days off and, you know, extra holidays, that sounds a great thing, in theory, but of course, in reality, for the National Health Service, it will cost an extra estimated up to 200 million pounds in cancelled operations and in overtime for NHS staff. Money that I would say could have been far better spent on treating patients in need. Having said that, I'm all in favor of celebrations, but I just think we need to get in priority what we ought to celebrate. This country stands among the great countries of the world in its contribution to human civilization, in art, in science, in social reform. There are so many wonderful, tangible things that have improved the lives of people of this country and people around the world that we ought to be celebrating, but we don't. And I'll just give you one of them. Half the population of this country has rights and freedoms they didn't have a century or so ago. Women won the vote because of the campaigns of the suffragists and the suffragettes. That's worth celebrating, because it sent a message not only to the women and men of this country, but of all of humanity, that we as a nation wanted to give women equal rights when it came to the franchise. Now, when it comes to the royals, I think the conclusion from all this evidence is that we don't hate the royals. The British people don't hate the royals. Some quite like them. But I'm not sure... They really love them. I think we're, for many of us, we have fallen out of love with the royals. We perhaps you know, don't dislike them, we don't wish them harm, we don't want to replace them, but we don't feel enthusiasm for them anymore. And I think the public response to the royal wedding is symptomatic of that. But of course, this opens up a much wider um, picture and, and range of issues which Peter Kellner has touched on. I would argue, as a Democrat, that monarchy is incompatible with democracy. The idea that our head of state is based on inherited position rather than the will of the people and cannot be replaced, no matter how poorly or badly they perform, that strikes me as out of kilter with the democratic trend of the modern age. And I would ask, do we want a country of partial, incomplete democracy, steeped in aristocratism, nostalgia, and a regal imperial past? Do we want a country where the mere chance of parenthood gives a person a right to be our monarch and head of state, to be the symbol of the nation, just by accident of birth? Or do we want a more complete democracy that's forward-looking, modern? without the need for aristocratic privilege, without inherited status and position and power. I'd like to see us have an elected head of state who is the choice of the people and who is accountable to the people and who can be replaced by the people. And I look to Ireland, our small neighbor, and I look to Mary McAleese, the current incumbent, (laughs) and her predecessor, Mary Robinson, two fine, fine women who have epitomised the modernity of Irish national identity and have performed the job of president with exemplary character and integrity for about one twentieth of the official cost of our monarchy and about one hundredth of the real cost of our monarchy. Now, when it comes to monarchy we are dependent on the decisions of this particular privileged family and sometimes they get it wrong and i was appalled and i emphasize appalled that the royals invited the king of bahrain to the forthcoming wedding a leader who was torturing jailing and massacring his own people that invitation has not actually officially been withdrawn, but the King of Bahrain has declined the invitation out of sensitivity to the concerns of many of us. But why was he invited in the first place? And why is it apparently that someone else from the Beirani dictatorship is going to take his place? And how interesting it is that the royal family will not say whether the other royal dictators are being invited the Saudi dictator, the Omani dictator, and the Brunei dictator. We have a right to know, why won't the palace tell us if these dictators are coming? And heaven help us if they are. It is a blot on the judgment of the royals that they've made these invitations. My final points, I guess, are that under a monarchical system, even the most ignorant, immoral, first-born royal male, is deemed more fit to be our head of state than the wisest, most moral commoner. In other words, no matter how intelligent, expert and decent a commoner may be, they can never be our head of state. We've seen with King Edward VIII just how dangerous a monarchical system can be, where we almost had a Nazi sympathiser on the throne when we were fighting Nazism. Look at Prince Andrew and the way he's gone around the world touting for BP, given BP's record of collusion with regimes that violate human rights. We need to ask these questions. And the final point I'd make is that we all rejoiced when... President Obama was elected, the first black president of the United States, the first black head of state of the United States. There could never be an Obama here because our head of state is based on the all-white Windsor family. And unless in generations to come they marry a non-white person, we can never have a non-white head of state, even though there are many... Black and Asian Britons who would be fine heads of state. And I find it really, really offensive. I know it's not racist by intention, but it's racist by default to have a system where our head of state is only drawn from a family that happens to be white. We need to change that to allow all Britons, whatever their race, to be considered for the symbol and head of our nation. Thank you.
1: So, and you may want to come back on this, Peter. We're underwhelmed as a nation. Uh, Fleet Street may be overwhelmed and divided in the way that you say, Sarah. And people beyond these shores are clearly very, very excited indeed. As, as Rachel was mentioning, I myself have had a thing from Al Jazeera, which is very, very exciting. <laughs> but um, the... Majority of the nation, you say, is underwhelmed. They they've fallen out of love. They don't don't want street parties. They don't feel strongly about it. They they don't want to do anything horrid to this nice young couple. But they don't care very much. And, as you say, um, some people believe that the system is unfair and archaic. Let's start with that that thing about what the polls actually show.
6: About our deepest feelings as a nation about this. You know, <clears throat> Sarah mentioned one of the figures from a poll we did for um, Prospect magazine recently um, and, and it's right and, and, it, and it, I think it raises a problem for, for, for Peter Tatchell. Um, one of the questions we asked is thinking about the future monarch, which of the following would you prefer and we offer three choices Charles, William or neither, there shouldn't be a monarch at all and as Sarah said only 13% Said there should be no monarch at all. In this uh, survey, 45% wanted Charles and 37% wanted William. And the significance of that, incidentally, is that for the last five or six years, whenever we've asked this question, more people have said William than Charles. This is the first time that I can recall, that quite some time, that it's gone back in Charles's favour. Uh, my, this is my pure speculation, is that um, quite a few people are saying, you know, let the lad have something of a normal young married life before um, being thrust into the uh, the task of, of, of being king. But the problem, I think, for, oh, let me just say also, the same poll found that people do want the kind of reforms I was mentioning about the, you know, getting rid of the, the this anachronism about not marrying a Catholic, um, about being the firstborn of, I, of either gender, and so on. On the other hand, sadly, in my view, we most of us do think the monarch should continue to be head of the Church of England. So we are a pretty traditionalist nation. I think the problem that this poses for Peter is that um, I imagine that if you were to get a real Republican head of steam going in Parliament, um, there would be a referendum on whether to go from a monarchy to a republic. And look what happened in Australia 12 years ago when, you know, The Queen is their head of state and she's not even Australian. And all the polls showed in advance that Australians wanted to get rid of a monarchy and go for a republic. Um, And then they designed an alternative and it was an elected alternative, as Peter wants. When people realized that if you had an elected head of state, the chances are it would be some second-rate superannuated ex-medium rank politician,
2: <laughs> uh,
6: they decided, by quite a clear majority, to keep this remote English granny <laughs> as the head of state, rather than an elected Australian. Could I pick you up on let that let, point? Let me just, let me just, let me just finish. Um, now, if we were to have the kind of monarch that, that Peter fears if we had a complete imbecile or a nutter, if we had another George the Third or William the Fourth, then I suspect we'd have a republic before you could say boo because just the moods would change, um, and that 's one of the advantages of having an unwritten constitution when needs must we change things um, but until and unless that happens, I think peter 's problem as a Democrat is that. The people don't want, the majority of the people don't want what you want. And therefore, as a Democrat, I suspect you're lumbered with the monarchy.
3: Can I just come back on those points? The reason why Australian public opinion voted against uh, going for a republic was because the Conservative government rigged the question to insist that the head of state will be chosen by members of parliament, not by a vote of all the people. That's the reason why it was voted down. Even many Republicans voted against it for that reason. Um, The second point is about the whole issue of the polls. I mean, your poll, is I accept the result, but if you take the poll of polls right across over the last, you know, 10 or 20 or even 30 years, it's fairly consistent that about 30 percent, depending on the way the question is asked, about 30 percent of people want a uh, elected head of state and the rest want to retain the monarchy. So it's not as grim as the 13%. The final point is, of course, I would never seek to impose my desire for an elected head of state upon the people. I seek to persuade people and only if and when a majority want that would I assent to it. Now what about the fact that uh,
1: the European monarchies that we think of or don't think of, we don't think about them a great deal, but um, we 're thinking about them tonight. the European monarchies are associated as much with states that we think of as being well governed and having rather high levels of human rights i 'm thinking here of the Scandinavian ones. How is it? I mean we, uh, am I right in thinking, Your Excellency? you represent a party called the moderate party. It said the Swedish moderate party in the, the notes I read is, can this really be true?
4: No, I'm no. representing <laughs> Sweden.
1: Yes, I, right, right, you're That's absolutely right. But the, you're absolutely right, but, the, but the, you once were part of the moderate, there exists a moderate party, and it, it was the party of yes. government.
2: Yes.
5: There. The,
4: Yes, absolutely. Yes. So we have a coalition government in Sweden, a centre-right yeah. government, and they are very supportive of the monarchy. The opposition in Sweden, with the Social Democrats and the Left Party and the environmentalists, uh, are all for a republic. Uh, but there is uh, no indication that they would ever try to pursue that policy because they see so clearly in society that there's such great support. For the monarchy, that, there's, that we're just not <laughs> working their favour if they try to pursue that path. Um, Can I just say one thing also on the, uh, uh, on the issue of uh, 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 firstborn child uh, in, in Sweden then being the heir to the throne, no matter whether it's a boy or a girl? It's quite interesting how it happened because when the Crown Princess Victoria was born as the first child and they started initiating <coughs> this process. Uh, then before it was actually done with, her brother had been born but they still went through with it so it meant that the brother was actually heir to the throne for a while but then it went back to his sister that's how you do it in Sweden
2: well
1: <laughs> and we do th- we do think of Sweden, Denmark Norway and Holland as representing certain sort of gold standards in you know, in governance and human rights. We may be wrong there, and, and, but Belgium I don't know anything about. It's So I... Who does? Uh, who does? I mean, well, I don't... I mean, it's, it sounds grossly unfair, but... Um, I think we don't, as a nation, think quite the same things about Belgium as we do those other countries. And yet, and we think of rightly or wrongly, and this may be um, a matter of presentation rather than reality, we think of those as being very not class societies um, uh, and we think of those as being societies that don't have as much social inequality as measured on let's say the genie scale as we find in the Anglosphere. Do you know? um, and the Anglosphere gave us the opportunity for Obama—it's I, I mean, a—it's a mystery, isn't it?
6: Okay. Anybody... Say, on, on that, uh, when Peter talked about you know you could have an imbecile as a monarch, what about George Bush? <laughs> 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 Elections but, are but, lot
3: but at least hereditary. he could be—he remo- could, in theory, be removed. <laughs> but he was hereditary. <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <Very
1: good. laughs> so is. You know, is it in, in any sense, you know, if we take constitutional monarchies, are they really incompatible uh, and, uh, with nations that uh, are modern and well-governed and fair? I don't know. What do we think?
7: Well, well Can I just say one point was where uh, you know, when, you, when you hold up a sort of model... Um, a model like poor old Ireland, who you know most people would regard as a sort of absolute basket case you know in the last year's had a sort a of terrible time and that that there is the flaw in your argument is that um it works you know in, in britain it work, we are a very very stable democracy and we have a constitutional monarch and I, you know so I don't know what you do about that you know you you'll you keep saying, ah, oh, but what if but but it hasn't happened you know we ha- it it just always comes out in the wash and so even when we've had sort of bumpy patches we you know we come through them prince andrew is a good example you know it was a sort of um he didn't come out well but actually he reflected completely the culture of the time you know what was he doing that tony blair and peter mandelson weren't doing (laughs) um so i think that's where that that's where um i would argue with you is the um you know the ideology is just incompatible with the reality
6: no I was going to say, I think if we're to become a republic, I think three hurdles have got to be passed. The, the first hurdle is the answer to the question: Does a monarchy make sense, or is it ridiculous? Now, I'm with Peter. I think he, I think it's fundamentally ridiculous. you were designing society from scratch. None of us, I think, mm. would design mm. an hereditary system. The second question: Does it do more harm than good? I think I think it's difficult to. Call this, and I think Peter makes, and the most powerful point Peter makes, which I think is a real one, is that we is that we have uh, de facto racism. We can't foresee a non-white head of state, Uh, and I think you know, and I, I think that is not a negligible point. But the third question is, if it is harmful, is it so harmful that competing with all the other things that we need to do in our society, that rises to the top? I think that in practice is where the Republican case falls down and where I find myself in some difficulty because if MPs arrived on Monday and the whip said, we've done everything we want to do, we can't think of anything else, (laughs) then yeah, let's have a bill to get rid of the monarchy. But in reality, if we were to go down that route, it would mean pushing to one side, um, what everyone is doing on the health service or welfare reform or, or education or defence or you know, policing um, and I, th- I think therefore it has to there's quite a high hurdle the damage argument has to cross in order for people like me who are intuitively republican to say yes this is now the right time to espouse this cause and to give it priority
0: Peter I'd like to say something about Belgium. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> I lived, yes. I lived in Belgium for nine years. And it just strikes Gosh. me that, um, <laughs> I know, it's one of, the, one of the few secret things about me. Um, it strikes me that I, at one point I was considering writing a piece saying we don't need governments, because Belgium, <laughs> no, not that anyone's noticed, actually hasn't had a government right. for months and months. But, yeah, but the monarchy. remains very popular. We've got Princess Mathilde and we've got Prince Albert and Baudouin and all those Baudouins back through right back to when they were conjoined with our monarchy probably, they bred and um, it seems to me that part of the lesson of that is that celebrities and governments come and go and we will watch them come and go but like the poor, the royal family is often always with us and this is like the Lady Magazine, established 1885. Another 19th
6: century tradition. It's
0: exactly, exactly, another Victorian tradition that everybody thinks has been around since time immemorial. In fact, these are Victorian things. That in this time, particularly these times, I know it's, you know, I hear what you're saying about republicanism, and I under, and I believe, and I agree with all of that. The Act of Settlement and women and blacks. I wish they were all running the world, um, but. The monarchy remains a reassuring, something reassuring in the ether, like the Lady magazine. And um, I suggest will be with us for hundreds of years.
1: I think the, the um, Twitter <laughs> for, um, is, Rachel Johnson says, I wish back and women were running the world. <laughs> And well, well,
0: will we'll go with
1: that. I think the standard. I think the Londoners' diary would go with that one, don't I you? Don't so. you? Now, is, yes. um, yeah. it's, well, the and, it's right? yeah, and Now exactly. it's your turn uh, um, uh, to uh, um, put up your hands and ask a question or make a very short observation in an orderly way, and then a, a, a charming person will come to you with a microphone. If we start with the lady in black here. On. Name, rank, and number?
4: Oh, sorry, Lucy Blythe, Philly International. Question for the ambassador. To what extent is the Swedish royal family popular because of their very hard work in encouraging people to get involved in the voluntary sector? I think that's, that's an important uh, part of it. But I think it's, like I said, that they somehow the, the respect for the royalties is, it's just there but I think what I was saying about the reform of our constitution is something that quite a few political scientists would argue has played in favour of the royal family and we actually haven't had a coronation in Sweden since uh, Oscar II uh, was crowned in the 19th century so they even dropped that so so that, that might well also be an aspect the crown princess Victoria in Sweden is extremely popular so I wouldn't say that we experienced the kind of indifference that might have de- been detected in some of the polls. I was struck by the fact that you would find people sort of putting up sort of the uh, um, newspaper copies on the, the front door, sort of uh, things that you wouldn't really see Swedes doing in the normal case, but it was just this mad frenzy about the, the wedding and uh, people standing uh, you know, along the streets and, and, and greeting the, the royal couple. So I think that that's why... Somehow, both media and society were both sort of looking at it with thinking, "What is this?" Sir? But there was, all actually, afterwards in the media, a bit of a discussion about: Were we actually too positive? Mm. Oh. Where should we have been a bit more critical about certain things? and. and and, uh, and I guess, especially with the public service, that they felt that, well, we were just, you know, cheering all along, and, and maybe we should have had some, some criticism. But then again, people felt, well, and the discussion then went, well, it would have been awkward in this kind of a situation where everybody was so happy. Um, so. Um,
5: the gent in blue. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, my name is uh, Nick Pisani from Intelligence Squared. Um, Peter, just an observation, really, about what you said on race, which I find fascinating. Because looking back to 1981, we were a very different country. And you talk about indifference, but the streets will be full, there'll be lots of celebrations, everybody will be watching the telly. But deference has gone, and equality has come. Gay people, black people, women. I can absolutely see the next generation of the royal family marrying a non-white person. I can't see that being a big deal at all in 20, 30, 40 years from now. And I think it's, it will be a symbol of why the monarchy will survive and is popular and does change. I can't imagine British people opposing the next generation of the royals marrying a Commonwealth citizen from Africa. Not at all. Any more in fact that I could see them being a problem with a gay prince or princess.
0: Have
5: plenty of that as well. Indeed. <laughs> but the point is,
3: It depends on chance. Why should our head of state depend on the chance or the possibility, the maybe, that in decades to come, perhaps a century or more to come, we might have a member (coughs) of the royal family marrying a non-white person and therefore eventually have a black or Asian head of state? Mm -hmm. I don't like the idea that the bar is there that blocks this right now when there are so many honourable, decent Wise, intelligent people from ethnic minority communities. They may be free to become the prime minister. That's true. But to reserve head of state, the highest state symbol in this country, for members of an all-white family, is to me profoundly wrong.
6: Just this one tiny corrective, if I, if, if I may, which is that. If my maths is right, my history is right, for 123 of the last 174 years, we've had a female monarch. How many of those 174 years have has American democracy produced a female president? Great. great. So,
3: yes, but one one system great. allows for the possibility; the monarchical system does not. Excellent. Um,
1: this gent here, and then the lady along that row and then Derek
5: Jeremy Scott So Jeremy Scott, the lateral group I think one of the interesting things is uh, certainly with celebrity um, the
3: English people don't really like people who want it and who seek it
5: and maybe the royal family are the only people who have celebrity who just have it thrust upon them without actively seeking it maybe Diana
3: went just before she would have been seen to be actively celebrity rather than royal family. And maybe that's the real danger for Kate, is that whenever I've seen any disparaging commentary, it's always been about the grasping Middletons, the wanting, the seeking Middletons, and maybe that will be the danger for Kate Middleton.
0: Hi, Tisha um, Ketter for Dutch Newspaper. Um, has, it's. it's I don't know who can best answer this, but has the 1990s have they made a difference with uh, all these divorces and so on in English attitude towards the royal family?
6: Do, well, well you've got stuff. Well, this? with notice, I could come up with reams of figures from just as well. I haven't had notice. Um, I mean, yes, uh, the. the what has tending to happen is that polls are being conducted at moments of great drama in the royal family. So, you know, it, so we have a sort of slightly odd historical series. All at once is some polls carried out in as when normal times when nothing much is going on. Um, but polls at these times have shown the sort of things you'd expect, which is, uh, you know, when, when Diana died, the, the, there really was national grief. Uh, we, you know, I was um, working with the Observer at the time, and we... Uh, we, we tried to do what I thought it was quite a nifty idea. There's you know, people queuing for hours, driven in the mall before to sign the book. And I thought, let's send some ICM interviewers t- t- to talk to them and ask them some questions, uh, which I thought would be genuinely interesting. And they couldn't because uh, people were really so grief stricken They couldn't bring themselves to answer a pollster, which itself told us something, at least about the people who queued, queued in the mouth. And, and yes, when you know when marriages break down, yeah. people, on the one hand, don't like it. On the other hand, you know I'm I, I'm on my second marriage, I and mean, which, which of which us here is um, uh, is on their first spouse with Rachel, two children? Constance. Yes, <laughs> like, and, well, yeah, an endangered minority. Um, <laughs> um, no, what,
0: no, but your, the point surely about the royal family is it's what, clearly it's a danger area to marry into the royal family, not yeah. to get married, yes. isn't it? Because yeah. the, the strike rate in the royal family of divorce is almost 100% apart from the Queen. No? Yeah. So yeah. that's presumably... So uh, great, I, my not point. Divorce. My point uh, on this question, <laughs> which I think is a good one, is that... Prince William is bloody lucky to have found anyone to, who's willing to stick her head into the noose that is the royal family, actually. But and sorry. somebody as obviously balanced as Kate Middleton and, and Diana was obviously unbalanced. So there we are. I mean, they have a chance to remake the royal family
4: for a new era. But I'm sorry, the way I answered the room. question was, was it the perception of the royal family had changed because of the
1: divorces? That I think that was behind your question. Has it corroded? I mean, they used not to get divorced mm. much. <laughs> 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 and then no and then there were lots of divorces. In a sense, this is an and, s- and some of them were you know some of them were sort of acrimonious or a bit scandalous or a bit surprising.
2: Huh?
0: If you allow people to pick their spouses, you have to allow them to get rid of them. Mm. In 1917, there was that business where they were allowed to pick commoners rather than horse-faced Brunswick German princesses, <laughs> right? And they were very successful up to that point. When people were allowed to choose, of course, they're allowed to make mistakes.
6: I think. You know? I mean, yeah. I think. I think the, 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 the trouble with trying to analyse this is that this has all been happening at a time when, when, all other forms of celebrity have opened up. Uh, you know, divorce has become more common. Others. What we're seeing is, is part of a wider. Fabric And one of the things that's happened with the royal family is we do know much more about them. Now, when I was a very young journalist, the story, which I I believe is true, but if any of you print it, I can't guarantee it's true. But it was true that I was told this, which was that, um, you know, when recording started, sound recording in the late 19th century, you know, you've heard of Tennyson reading The Charge of the Light Brigade and so on. So recording was well underway during the later years of Victoria's reign. Uh, but I was um, told that in the BBC vaults there is a recording of Queen Victoria uh, and the BBC acquired this in the 1930s and they never played it. Why? Because she had a German accent. Which, <laughs> <laughs> you think about it, it's almost inevitable yeah. given her family background. Mm-hmm. But it's felt to be suddenly told that the great Queen, who many people in the 30s would remember, had a German accent. It's felt to be too horrible a wow. uh, fact wow. to wow. give to the public. It's a tiny example of how, by the things we didn't know about the royal family, I mean, nobody outside the you know the posh circle knew about Edward VII's affairs. Um, so a, a mystique was created, um, and now that mystique has gone. I think, if anything, the extraordinary thing is how well the, pu- the royal family has survived in public esteem when the mystery has been stripped away, and
7: that's a particular point I think about the divorce, if that's what you meant, is that, they were, that Charles and Camilla were very, very unpopular. You know, still Camilla's. You know, people have sort of become accustomed to her. I wouldn't say she was she was loved. Um, but uh, people absorbed it in the end, and that was meant to be. So whenever you're told there's an absolute crisis for them, this is it, Diana or Camilla, you know, it's all over. It just never is, you know. Mm-hmm. That people adjust and they and they absorb it, and I think that's why. Because they're family. You, cause cause they're, they're, you have family. You can't choose. but your family. to the guest list. Of course, you have these ghastly people you don't want coming to a wedding, you know. So I think, as the Queen said, happy compromise. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that was a brilliant anecdote. <laughs> Did she really say that to you. So good. <laughs>
1: Derek. Uh, Derek Wyatt, board member of Editorial Intelligence. Uh, this is a sort of a two-part question really to Peter Galna and others, but there are, th- there are three parliaments now in Wales, Northern Ireland and Scotland uh, and there could one day be an English and that might mean four lower parliaments and maybe something at the top of that and, and would that still be the royal family? But that may be 50 years or 100 years away. My, my real question is, you've polled about the royal family. Have you polled separately in Wales, Scotland, and Northern Ireland? And if you have, what does it say about the royal family?
6: Uh, well, I'll, I'll, from the poll we did recently for Prospect, the figures for Scotland, for, for Britain as a whole, 13% said there should be no monarch after Queen Elizabeth II. In the second, and Scotland is 27%. So it's double the GB average, but it's still only a minority. Um, <laughs> and I, uh, I don't have a, I have a Midlands and Wales break, but. I mean, normally we find, you know, we find that the Scot. Normally polls, where the Scots are different from the English. The Welsh shall like the English only a bit nicer. Um, so I suspect no, no. they answer differently so different.
4: <coughs> Hello, um, I'm Ross Hawley, and I work for an MP. Um, it's just really a point of order about we were talking about female succession, um, and in fact uh, there was a couple of weeks ago a 10-minute rule bill, which is. Sometimes the start of how a bill um, progresses, which was introduced by the Right Honourable Keith Vaz, and that was to rectify the situation so that the firstborn would, in fact, re- regardless of gender, would, in fact, take the throne. So it's on its way.
1: And should we re- rejoice, or what do we think? <laughs> Fantastic. broad, broad rejoicing.
4: Dutch Radio. I want to come back to what you said previously about the popularity of the royal I'm not so interested in p- the popularity of the royals but the popularity of the royal wedding
8: why does it seem to us anyway I hear what you're saying about the incredible enthusiasm from us abroad in this affair but yet it seems that the Brits themselves the subjects are less interested and less enthusiastic about this wedding than they were 30 years ago
6: yeah, I, I think that's right um, I don't sense i mean I, 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 we didn't ask precisely this question peter's referring to another company's in poll and i'm sure and I'm sure he's right about how the, you know seventy uh, odd percent are, are are fairly indifferent I mean it, to me it feels different from nineteen eighty one when Charles got um, engaged to Diana um, and 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 my very very young childhood memory of the coronation when we did have street parties in every street, and the problem is it rained, so that rather sort of messed it up. But of course, you didn't have, only a few people had television then, um, and so you know, I, yes, I, I think I think you're right. I think there's less passion. Um, I don't think we're any more a Republican country than we were. And it's not as if we become anti-monarch. We just sort of shrug our shoulders. You know, the great thing is, it's the end of Easter week, it, on the following Monday is the May bank holiday, so you can take three days off work and have, what, an 11-day break. And I suspect there'll be, BA strikes permitting, there'll be more people leaving Britain on Easter week breaks than ever before, partly because of the Royal Wedding.
1: So it does sound like, they like, different polls are saying different things, and as always, it depends on the question you ask and then the way you
6: read that lovely printer, doesn't it? No. No, no, You're having in mind the old Israeli reliance on license statistics. No. This is not true. Um, I think you know, that different people can interpret data in different ways. But only up to a point. But isn't I mean, there a bit yeah. of
7: national character in this? I think, you know, we yeah. just grumble and we quite like grumbling. And, you know, mm-hmm. anyone, I um, was a um, mother of the groom mm-hmm. last year, and, you know, you love talking about your own wedding, but it's always, oh, no, it's a nightmare, you know, the mm-hmm. caterers aren't turning up, blah, blah. And there's a bit of that here. I think, you know, I, when I was looking around Buckingham Palace and seeing all this scaffolding going up, it, it is all for. of foreign television but it doesn't mean just because we um grumble and say we don't like it you mustn't take that at face value no but
5: i was here
2: 30
7: years
4: ago and that's definitely yes
7: definitely but isn't there also i think uh, the age thing is quite important on this um that you know one does forget um we are not as young as well and um that, that and i don't know if it was in prospect that it was talking about how you relate to the royal of your generation so you know i'm diana and charles you know to a younger sort of generation um I, as far as I can see you know who, who would who would see the modernity of Kate who would um, be much more au fait with celebrity who would as interested in the fact that posh beckham is is there as as Kate but I think that um, um you know that that's partly because this isn't our generation's wedding if you think.
8: Yeah. <laughs> Does you don't think there's more indifference among the younger generation mm. now than there was... I think it's indifference to, to everything. Obviously.
1: I think <laughs> underwhelmment is mm. quite a difficult thing to identify and read mm. in polling. I say this as a person who's written a great many questionnaires um, in a time gone by, and you can, and indeed my former employer proved it beyond... Contraception, as they say <laughs> According to how you frame A question You can produce different results That doesn't mean that the enterprise isn't worth doing Or that there are damn lies and the statistics it, But it's if, Unless you have very quick, consistent questions over time And everybody under, uh, Understands what th- They are, are taken To mean, subtle things like Underwhelmment are difficult To understand
0: I would imagine that the mood will completely change on the day, I'd like to go back to my point. This is about TV pictures. If, by the way, if Sarah's Princess Diana, I am definitely the Fergie of my family. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, <but laughs> Peter, this is—you know—this is going to be the greatest show on earth, and TV. These images are going to. Everyone will change their view. Nobody will be talking about being underwhelmed on the 29th. We'll all be glued. But if isn't it, but, but
3: doesn't it, that also symbolize something disturbing about our national psyche, <laughs> yeah. that so many people will have this deference? We to this rather privileged family. It's
0: showbiz, Hollywood, yeah. America has Hollywood, we well, ha- have the royal family. But
3: doesn't that rather debase the whole monarchy that it's just another no, branch thanks. of showbiz?
0: We should be very grateful, as I said on the Daily Politics yesterday, <laughs> I'll repeat no, it, to no. you know, one of our few successful surviving industries and we should be grateful for all the billions but they are gonna bring But ha- Hang
3: in. on, the, 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 the French royals were ceremoniously uh, removed about 200 years ago the palace of versailles the palace of versailles has far more Visitors than any royal That's tourist attraction in this country, yeah. even Legoland has more visitors than Windsor Castle. The idea that we have to have: The idea that we have to have the royals to bring in tourism is just a, a n- nonsense.: it's, true, it's actually now,
1: true.: A final set of a few questions, then we have to wrap up and be out of here. starting with the lady way, way at the back. We've uh, underrepresented the background.
4: Absolutely. I'm supreme, I'm fiercely independent. I don't feel either deferential or, or underwhelmed. Um, I feel quite doomed or doomy. Or <laughs> I, I look at Kate Middleton and I think about what Peter said about the suffragettes and I think about what Rachel said about she would be wise or well advised never to do an interview. And I wonder what on earth we're celebrating about a young woman of, what, 28... Who will be nothing more than William's wife? I
2: agree.
4: I just, I, it fills me with doom. Well, it's what she always wanted, so. <laughs> <laughs> she always wanted.
8: Yeah. <laughs> choice.
1: Yeah. And then the lady here.
8: My name is Marie Claire van Alvensleben, I was born in Belgium, and I'm... <laughs> 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 <But> i
4: Bienvenue! A <laughs> <À> Londres. <Yeah. laughs>
8: But I'm Swiss by marriage, so okay. you know, there is a remedy. I wanted to ask you <laughs> <laughs> what brought you to Belgium and oh, if you God. enjoyed it. Oh, so no. that's a question for you, and then I have a comment from Mr. Tatchel.
0: Okay, well very quickly, because this is a really long story. Um, my, my father was one in the first wave of Eurocrats into Brussels. He worked for the European Commission, and in answer to your question, I didn't enjoy it at all. For the first, my first tour, which lasted for seven years, from the age of seven to fourteen, and my parents' marriage broke up, and it was like the ice storm only in suburban Brussels. <laughs> and the second time round, I went to Belgium because I was—we um, had to go to Belgium for various complicated family reasons to do with being fired.
8: Well, I understand you. I left Belgium to go to Switzerland, exactly. so I understand why you exactly, did like so no, not like. Exactly. My second worries. question. Well, it's more a comment. I wanted to tell Mr. Thatcher that I don't think we Belgium would like to have a black or uh, a queen oh. or a black uh, king, and I think you you criticize the royal family and you seem to like other countries so much. Why don't you go and live somewhere? <laughs> <else>? <laughs>
3: I think if we live in a country, we should all work together to make it a better country oh, for everyone.
2: That's, good. Yeah. that's um, very good. Very diplomatic.
3: Um, I
1: have to say, I don't think Mr. Tatchell expressed any unpatriotic feelings. Um, a lady here.
4: Can I ask you, Peter, are you planning any protests on the 29th of April?
2: Oh.
3: <laughs> well, I am a member of Republic the campaign for an elected head of state which is
2: www.republic.org.uk
3: <laughs> <laughs> and um, yes we are planning alternatives to alternative? the um, royal wedding an alternative celebration um, said, and everybody is welcome street
2: protest
3: well not a sort of a protest but it's more a celebration of the other good qualities of British life I think
6: oh hello Charlie Burgess uh, I'm a recovering journalist uh, my, my <laughs> Mine's just a a simple observation that what is happening with this wedding and what we're all part of is the greatest soap opera there is in the world. It's fantastically complicated, fantastic characters, plot lines that you can't believe and production values that make Granada's Coronation Street look amateur. (laughs) And it really is so fabulous at a cheap price. Well,
5: it
1: there, there is a thought. That's right. The monarchy. I mean, we've heard a lot tonight about the monarchy and about the wedding and the fundamentals. The monarchy. It would be an opportunity cost to remove it. I think you said, said Peter, so it is a sort of matter of almost indifference. And other people said, no, it's a lovely game of chance. And then finally, the thought that we're looking at a bit of professionalism in action Do you know, whoever does it however it's done real, profe- we, they really put on a show
2: yeah.
1: and they know how to put on a show and if it gets people here that might be a good thing and that seems a good point at which to wind up thank you for an press club thank you all of you for coming here thank you Brilliant and marvellous. I was, I, was, I was going to say contestant, but I don't mean.
3: <laughs> I don't
1: mean that for one moment. Thank you. Her Excellency the Ambassador of Sweden, Rachel Johnston, Peter Kellner, Sarah Sands, and Peter Tatchell. Thank you.